0: Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm delighted that we're joined today by Paul Polman. Uh, You'll notice that we're missing Deborah. That's because it would be about 5.30 in the morning her time. If she does pop up, she'll pop up silently. But we had to rearrange because of the storms yesterday in the UK. So thank you, Paul, for your flexibility for continuing to join us. We're delighted. Um, You're well known for your role as a business leader led uh, Unilever for for a long time. But what many people don't know is that you've been working in the field of disability inclusion, particularly uh, innovating in the field around low vision and no vision. So can you tell us a bit about this and how you came to be engaged in the field?
1: Well, thank you, Neil and uh, Antonio. And thank you for the opportunity, obviously, and and more importantly, for what you're doing. You know, and I uh, worked a lot on the millennial development goals and now the sustainable development goals. And they have a simple objective to not leave anybody behind. And I've always believed that if we want to save humanity and create a world that is inclusive and working for all, we have to fight for some of the basic principles that I believe are universal principles like uh, dignity and respect for everybody, uh, equity and compassion. Um, I became especially aware of that in 2005, when uh, one of my friends, Eric Weyen-Meyer, who is uh, who was officially impaired at the age of 16, and actually uh, the first blind person to climb all seven summits, including Mount Everest, he called me and he said, Paul, do you fancy climbing Mount Kilimanjaro uh, together? Because I'd like to go back there. I said, Eric, I'm game. This is such an incredible experience. But then we expanded the concept and decided to take a blind person with us from all parts of the world. And with eight of us, uh, we climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, the first blind person from uh, Kenya, Douglas Sidialo, a a person from Japan, from Austria, and so forth. Uh, Six of us reached the top. And then when we came down, we went to the blind schools in uh, Arusha or Moshi and the cities around uh, Kilimanjaro. And we found uh, the situation to be dear. And uh, that got us galvanized into action. Uh, you know, we, as we, uh, we cannot change our values uh, if we don't change what we value. And it is very important that we value this total inclusion. There are 40 million blind people in the world, uh, 285 million visually impaired, if you want to, uh, 20 million children, and uh, less than 10% of those are in education. So it was very uh, a tough challenge, especially in that part of the world. But I'm not afraid of a tough challenge. So I thought we need to attack this and do something about it and leave a lasting uh, a legacy if you want to. Uh, Gandhi said it very well when he said that our ability to reach unity and diversity will be the beauty and the test of our civilization. So I always felt it was right from a moral point of view, but also actually from an uh, enormous uh, economic Uh, point of view. And what I discovered as I went into this, that we had a long way to go, not only in Africa, but all across the world in normalizing uh, the situation for people with uh, disabilities. Only 5% here in the UK of the Fuji uh, companies actually uh, publicly disclosed their commitments to disability. Uh, 7% of the C-suite who have disability uh, disclose it. Uh, So very few people actually are willing to talk about it still. And more than half the companies in the world, which was a great surprise to me, rather pay fines than complying with the law to include people with disabilities. So I said, this has to change. The world cannot work if we don't include for all. And I think COVID has added an extra dimension to that. It has made us realize that people that are already in difficult positions, minorities or marginalized communities, are paying the 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 higher price for our failings and uh, for people with disability that has even been uh, more true, uh, which makes us even more determined to try to do something about it. And it's obviously, as you know, Neil, better than I do, an enormous uh, opportunity. We're talking here about 15% of the world population, which is the largest minority group, if you want to, uh, spending power estimated at $8 trillion dollars Uh, at a time that we're looking for talent, an enormous talent pool, but also an enormous pool that you want to have associated with your companies. And I've always believed that business can and should be a major force for change. And this is one of the burning issues
0: still on the agenda that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. So for those of our audience that don't know, the the innovation that we were talking about was was something called Orbit, which which revolutionized Braille. So... um, for for those of you that are not familiar with braille readers they they tended to be made out of thousands of moving parts which is really really expensive which is why a braille display or reader used to cost thousands of dollars per per machine now the orbit project uh Used a different technology to create the pins that pushed it up, and and slashed the cost by 90 percent, and 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 that's the revolutionary part of of what you were doing, working with a pal of mine, Kevin Carey, who was the chairman of RNIB at the time, and loading up these readers with books as well. So not only are you giving access to information, you're providing a a library of information to the individuals that 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 get these much more affordable devices. So um yeah. a little bit more about orbit from you would be great. Oh, and there's no problem about that, Neil. In fact,
1: when we uh looked at the situation of blind people, we said we have to do something about it. We cannot just be uh silent bystanders. So we created the Kilimanjaro Blind Trust, which is incorporated now as uh, uh the biggest charity for the visually impaired in Africa. We're in 6 countries. Our headquarters are in Kenya. And the main objective is really unlocking literacy for life. So we ensure that uh, officially impaired children are enrolled in schools, uh, obviously have access to the right tools like the Orbit itself. We provide educational material, training, uh, advocacy, and we're uh, slowly but surely expanding out of East Africa into other countries. We reckon we are touching about 25 Thousand children now with with our uh, limited means, but are certainly seen as the most recognized organization. We were dealing with the Perkins Braille machine that you rightfully describe was a very useful tool, but uh, expensive and actually inefficient. Uh, you could not put uh, books on there. Uh, people, uh, children that were officially impaired, Harry Potter's book would come out. If you are lucky in Africa, you might have access to a Braille book uh, three or four years later when the conversations have changed. Or, uh, you know, uh, having to share uh, exams in school, having to share one Braille machine amongst four or five visually impaired people. Situations that would never have given you a chance to develop to your fullest potential. Now we are rapidly moving to ensuring that every child in school has an orbit. Uh, Think about it as your iPad. You can put an unlimited amount of books on there. You can put curriculum on there. You can even put STEM now on there, which is quite... Revolutionary for Braille, and we have uh, come up with the Orbit uh, people with a device that teachers can actually uh, don't need to know Braille, but can actually follow uh, on a normal uh, telephone or other device what the visually impaired students are typing. Uh, what we've seen with uh, COVID as well is when the schools were closed, uh, Uganda just opened after two years of closure. For example, uh, this. Uh, Children still have access to the orbit and can actually study at home and it totally changes their lives. And increasingly, we're moving not only to giving them the tools to educate themselves, but the most important thing, obviously, is to unlock their full potential for life. So we're working with students now at university level. We're working increasingly with companies to place these, uh, these people. And uh, that's obviously a very rewarding uh, thing to do. And hopefully uh, we can soon expand with help of everybody to the various places in Africa first, but then globally uh, as the need is enormous, as you can imagine.
2: Well, that's, no, you no. know, uh, you know that's, it's extremely interesting to, to see how we can, you know, connect to different uh, other parts of the world and able to empower uh, other people that are usually... Now, when we read the news every day, we know that there are a few countries that dominate this space and sometimes uh, African countries uh, get a little bit for, forgotten. So from from that, that journey uh, that you went through there, what do you believe helped you to be a better leader?
1: Yeah, it is very rewarding to see and actually it keeps us, in one sense, uh, modest and honest with a certain level of uh, uh, humility and, and humanity. If you see a blind girl say, I want to be the minister of education so that in my country I can change the plight of officially impaired children. Or uh, I met another blind boy the other day who wants to be a doctor so that he can prevent the same issues in other people. Uh, it, it really keeps you with both feet on the ground and makes you realize what life ultimately is all about.
2: You you, you mentioned uh, previously that we still have a long way to go and you mentioned a few examples from the UK um how, what what do you believe that other um, executives from other companies need to do for us to move forward and to to don't to, to make sure that their workforces uh are uh, feel included and are able to say you know I have a disability I need help what we need to to reach that step
1: well as i said the first one is um Uh, you know, it is a moral obligation. Uh, The world cannot function if we leave others behind. And uh, I think the moral case is well understood. But increasingly also for the business community, you have to make them understand the enormous uh, economic case of this. This is an enormous purchasing power, an enormous talent pool that you can tap into. And yet it suffers still from many of the myths that keep the people behind. Um, Uh, The chances of employment are significantly less in every country in the world. Um, The uh, uh, myth that you go up against are are all fallacies, in fact, that uh, people with disabilities must be less productive, must be more sick, must be less loyal, must be more costly. All these things have proven themselves wrong. So actually, it starts with creating the awareness. And this is where the valuable 500, for example, comes in. Uh, you need to lead the people to the water if you want to and uh, share best practices. Companies like ATOS who have worked on the accessibility of people with disabilities, who have uh, increased the sensitivity within your own organization, uh, built it into all of these HR policies, et cetera, is a first uh, thing, is create awareness, not only of the enormous economic uh, potential behind this, but also about the uh, uh, busting these myths. And once you have these awareness, then it is important that you make commitments. Very few companies disclose actually, or, or are aware of the status of LGBT. We've attacked to some extent uh, gender. We've attacked the issues of LGBT. Um, uh, we've dealt with other issues, but for some reason, disability has has still stayed as a sideshow, if I may call it that way. So. Make yourself aware of where you are in the organization and set yourself the audacious goals that are needed. When I retired from Unilever uh, after 10 years being CEO, uh, I did not want and nor did I need any retirement present. So I said, The biggest present you can give me is to make a firm commitment that you're going to hire more people with disability. And what I was very pleased about was that my retirement present was a commitment by 2025 to at least have 5% of our uh, workforce be people with uh, disabilities or disabilities, as you call it, and to become the number one choice of people with disabilities uh, as an employer. I could not have wished of, of a better present, but make these bold commitments. And then not only make these bold commitments, be part of the network like the Valuable 500, where you get the best practices, learning from others, to then implement it uh, in your organizations. But it can only be done if it is uh, from the top down. Uh, in any organization, uh, you will find roadblocks, you will find reasons not to. So it needs that leadership from the top to, uh,
0: to solve this issue at an accelerated rate. Yeah. Uh, so I'm proud to be part of the board of Valuable 500 and Access Chat has been supporting uh, Valuable since before it became Valuable. Um, how did you, what was your journey to become chair of Valuable 500? Because we know it, but it'd be great to, to hear from your point of view, how, um, how Caroline persuaded you, not that you probably needed much pers- persuading. <laughs> well, if, if, uh...
1: If you uh, uh, the the saying goes, um, if you uh, want something to be done, uh, enroll a busy person. And um, I was not looking for more work, but uh, obviously a combination of my passion in the field um, from my work with the Kilimanjaro Blind Trust we just talked about as my own foundation. My firm believes um, having helped develop the sustainable development goals that we should not leave anybody behind. Uh, I also uh, uh, obviously got. Um, touched by the infectious passionism and optimism that Caroline has. And, and I'm very uh, honored also to chair with you and, and be part of, of the advisory board with you, Neil. I know you're equally passionate about that area. You know, um, it, it is uh, very important. I've always believed that. And I've written this book, Net Positive, how courageous companies thrive by giving more than they take that it is important to get the business community enrolled. You know, the business community at the end is 65% of the global economy, 80% of the financial flow, 95% of the job creation. If we don't get this firmly embedded um, in the business uh, as, as part an integral part of their strategies, we will never get there. And that's obviously where I've spent my whole life and feel the most comfortable. I met Caroline in 2017 in Colombia. I also chair another advisory board, which is of One Young World, a wonderful group of young people coming together to rise to a higher level of moral moral consciousness. And Caroline was on stage. I had just arrived um, uh, by plane from Europe and uh, it was late for my body and I had some jet lag. So I thought, well, let me go to the the event venue and uh, just pop in to stay awake, but also to get a little bit of the smell of the place because I had to give a keynote the next day. And literally as I walk in, Caroline was on stage with some other wonderful people um, that uh, that were there. And um, uh, so as she was talking, and I'd never met her before, uh, although we had crossed paths apparently in the past when One Young World was in Ireland, um, she was on the stage and said, wouldn't it be wonderful to have at least um, uh, the CEOs that are here come forward and make a commitment to improve their, their uh, representation of people with disability in their workforce. And she then actually evoked my name and said, um, if Paul Pullman would be here, uh, you know, that would be a wonderful uh, uh, signal to have him be part of this. Uh, I thought it was a setup. Caroline convinced me until the day uh, of today that it was not. But at the end of the day, I went up to the States and we, we were emotionally crying. We got these CEOs to commit, uh, and that was the start of the valuable 500. We increased our objective and our vision behind it, but now we have um, $8 trillion of revenue, over 500 of the biggest companies, uh, 22 million employees, uh, 13 iconic members, and really companies that are uh, enormous in, in size. Uh, I'm talking about the Allianz or the Googles or the Ethos or the Vodafones or Horizons and the PNGs and the Unilevers of this world. So we can be very proud that for the first time, hopefully, we have created this community that collectively not only makes its commitment, but also then links it to clear action to drive it forward and change these uh, statistics which are in desperate need of repair, if I may call
0: it that way. Yeah. So so, so, talking about how we drive that change and how we systematize this, obviously, you've just written the book, Net Positive, and, and, and we talk about sustainable development goals. One of the, the things that I've been passionate about is, is actually making sure that we include disability clearly in sustainability and in the way that, that we embed this in organisations. So uh, I, I've, I've talked for a while now about treating exclusion like pollution, and but, but, but actually applying the same kind of framework that we do uh, with decarbonisation, because Uh, disability exclusion is an externality, it's a negative externality of the way that businesses operate. And at the same time, when we make stuff accessible and inclusive, you have the positive externality that everybody can use it, it's easier for people, it generates um, inclusion, tax revenue, revenues for organisations, etc so so this is something that we're doing within my own organization but that I'm I'm wishing to sort of proselytize and get out there so that people can understand and grasp the concept how do how do we help organizations sort of conceptualize these things do you know do we need different economic models than we currently are do we need to think about things like donut economics? Are they those frameworks helpful for business leaders to conceptualize what they need to do so that we're going from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism and, and a more holistic view of, of what business can do for society?
1: Yeah, I guess to the heart of uh, the book, what I wrote, uh, Neil, uh, that we need to reframe what uh, good looks like. And um, I like your uh, phrase, uh, exclusion is pollution. And if you don't mind, I'll borrow it with pride because it's such a, a simple but powerful way to capture it. And it is clear that we have chased uh, the wrong goals. Uh, when a measure like GDP was invented uh, uh, to measure success of, of a country, it was really only measured as a, uh, only designed as a tool for industrial output. When Simon Koschnik did that in the in the 50s or 60s, he said, don't really use it as a goal to measure your success because it doesn't measure negative externalities. It doesn't measure the finite resources. It doesn't talk about fair income distribution. And here we are with two of the biggest challenges in the world. Although we have lifted so many people out of poverty, we have started to realize that uh, this is, the way we are doing this is frankly unsustainable. We cannot have unlimited growth or output like this on a finite planet and anything you can do forever is by definition unsustainable. And increasingly, we're realizing that issues like climate change and inequality are actually two sides of the same coin. COVID, as I mentioned again, once more has shown that uh, it's the people that are disadvantaged or in marginalized jobs or already are paying the bigger or higher price of our shortcomings are again paying a disproportionate price for uh, things like COVID. So we have to step up. If we want to make this world Uh, if we want to make it uh, function and function for all, we have to be sure that we attack the burning issue of climate change, but that we also attack the uh, equally important issue of inequality. And more and more people understand that. And that is why you see actually a drive to redefining what success looks like and move away from GDP increasingly towards an overall well-being index. You know, it is ridiculous that we value wars or pollution or um, cutting down trees, if you want to, because it drives up our GDP, but that we don't value the quality of education, peace, uh, the air that we can breathe, or the fact that we can live together in an inclusive environment, in a safe environment. So that is really the change that needs to happen. There's the genuine uh, progress indicator or the human development index or the happy planet index or the gross national happy index. And I can give you, more and more of these initiatives that are popping up across the world, that some countries are already starting to adapt to properly define what success looks like. Um, Now, the the good thing about this is is that the world has woken up. I think one of the major efforts that is taking place is the establishment of the Sustainable Standard Board, where uh, next to optimizing the return on financial capital now more and more people have realized also that we also need to include environmental and social capital as a minimum on equal footing. We have seen increasingly governments adjust and adapt their legislation as well, requirements to publish the numbers of uh, of the workforce uh, diversity in LGBT and in uh, gender, but increasingly also hopefully with uh, people with disabilities adapting laws and frameworks to make sure that companies uh, uh, act in an inclusive way, Uh, the disability acts that are coming in in different places. Uh, So we've started to see this broader awareness of what needs to be addressed, but also the willingness to do something about it. And what this is all about, obviously, is jumping on that trend, but accelerating it. Because what is missing, like on climate change, uh, what is missing on inclusion, is that we probably are aware of what needs to be done, but that we're not moving at the speed and scale. And having now 500 of the biggest companies with this economic force of over $8 trillion in revenue is probably enough to create a tipping point, and this is what we're all focused on.
2: <coughs> Paul, uh, behind me uh, on the wall, I have a, a magazine, a Wired magazine, with Al Gore in these days saying, this is the we are at a climate crisis. Now we have been talking. How can we make sure that you know this, all these delays? and you know, it was you know, many years ago. How can we find a way that we don't get on kind of a trap and we end up in a similar situation in relation to uh, in relation to disability?
1: Yeah, so that's very important, and I think um, the awareness is moving up. It is the zeitgeist, if you want to, uh, and COVID has really seen. A shift, a shift in collective consciousness, but also a shift in commitments of action to do something about it. So we need to be sure first and foremost that in the debate of building back better, that we also put in um, uh, in in terms of equality or the just transition that people talk. That we put in the rights of people with disabilities. I think it's not well understood yet that we're talking here about a population of 1.3. Uh, a billion people, uh, 15% of the world's population, the biggest minority group, that most of the disabilities happen between the age of, of 20 and 65, that it could happen to all of us. And so we have to destigmatize. That is the first thing. And I think with efforts like the Valuable 500, um, it, it goes a long way in that direction. The second thing we have to do is it's very difficult for companies alone to really move the needle at scale. So we need to form these partnerships. I always say that we should not compete on the future of humanity and companies that understand that collaborative leadership is more important than competitive leadership will be doing well. And here we have 500 of the most iconic companies in the world, including ATOS, being part of this effort, collectively creating and sharing the knowledge, collectively uh, driving each other to higher levels. I believe we can get to uh, move the needle forward in a significant way. And then the third element is to use that collective power to also drive the advocacy. There's no question about it, that our multilateral institutions, our governments have it very difficult at this time. We're seeing an increase in populism, nationalism, xenophobia, multilateral institutions not quite functioning, major distractions geopolitically that uh, take away from this agenda. So as a business community, we have the obligation to collectively raise our voices to ensure that governments implement the right policies and that governments obviously put the right frameworks in place to ensure that everybody then starts to uh, implement these more inclusive strategies. Right now, for example, in the US, in the Disability Act, there is no minimum wage for people with disability. That's unacceptable. When COVID came in the UK, they wanted to depriorize people with disability to have access to the the vaccines that became available. That's unacceptable. So if we don't work together to also ensure that governments individually and collectively put the right policies in place, I'm afraid we would not get to these tipping points that we're after.
2: No, I, I think something that we, you know, that we we need to look we need to get this not as a campaign that uh, as a permanent narrative you know is something that we need to talk every day it needs to you know, I think that's something that uh, we we need to do as as part of our commit commitment to, with with the topic that we are so passionate about
0: i could not agree more i
1: could yeah. not agree more
0: it, it's definitely disability is a thread in the fabric of society so if we don't include that the talking about that thread, then then it gets left behind. It gets siloed. We we lose that progress. What I One find is that um, yeah.
1: people are working a lot with the blind. Yeah. They've always dealt with uh, uncertainty in their lives. They yeah. always had to cope with the unexpected. Um, yeah. They always had to use technology to actually enhance their capabilities. Often now, technology has given them the possibility to actually do even more than non-ficially impaired people or sighted people, if you want to. But also they've always learned how to live in this FUCA world of volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And at a time that the world is even changing faster and faster, these people are actually better positioned than many of us who don't have to deal with these uh, disabilities. So um, the the inclusion where we see this in companies and i've seen the same in unilever i'm sure you've seen the same in ethos the inclusion of people with disabilities at higher numbers in your company just absolutely lifts the total organization and 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 positions you better for
0: a more challenging future absolutely so we're used to dealing with complexity ambiguity and 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 problem solving and every business needs problem solvers especially right now so one last question before we have to close and 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 that or or rather a sort of topic and and that's quite often there have been this idea that disability inclusion should be sort of charitable um and that when you're doing business with people with disabilities that shouldn't really make money from it my view is that actually there is nothing wrong with making good money out of doing good things. And if anything, we should be making lots of money out of it to make it attractive to to businesses. So how can we create that attraction for businesses to to engage in the topic um, rather than just sort of the macroeconomic figures, but, but get them really engaged on, you know, how does this sort of embed into how they sell or provide services to their community?
1: Well, you raise an interesting point, Neil, and, and uh, listening to your question and, and reflecting on it, um, you know, uh, business needs profits to survive, And uh, but profits are like white blood cells in your body. We need white blood cells to live, but I've never met an individual that actually lives for its white blood cells. So business itself needs profits to survive, but it needs a higher order, a higher purpose to be able to be successful long-term, to be able to attract employees, have a higher level of engagement, etc., And that higher purpose can only come from representing these basic values of inclusion, dignity, and respect, equity. And if businesses neglect that um, at all of its levels, it ultimately will not be successful. That's the essence of the book uh, that we've written, to a Net Positive. Uh, so businesses that understand that they internalize and take responsibility of these gaps that we still see in society, be it the environmental gaps or the social gaps that we have now. So not only discover that it's an enormous opportunity to be um, uh, successful, uh, the spending power of people with disabilities, etc. not only is it an enormous opportunity, but it is also an imperative to be successful as an organization long-term. You simply will not be able to attract talent if you say, I'm only hiring white males or I'm only uh, taking care of people with disabilities, or I'm only doing LGBT. Uh, You have to have an integral approach where we ensure that we reflect society, that we make it inclusive for all, and unlock that full potential
0: that comes with it to be long-term successful. Thank you very much, Paul. Um, And we need to also thank MyClearText for keeping us captioned. And really look forward to you joining us on Twitter on Tuesday night. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I look
1: forward to that. Thanks to both of you. Be safe.